Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit NFL.com slash schedule release to learn more. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey! 
some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. <laughs> Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better cost less than you think. 
Hey, folks, today is Wednesday, November 17th, 2021. Coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Brunswick, Georgia, on the Black Star Network. The defense, they now present their case in the trial of the three white men who are, have been charged with for the murder of Armand Arbery. We will show you what happened in court today. We'll also preview uh, a group of 200 black pastors who will be here at this courthouse tomorrow as a show of force letting the white attorney who attacked Reverend Sharpton and Reverend Jackson that you don't mess with the black church. We'll also talk with uh, the father of Amon Arbery uh, when we come back about uh, this trial uh, and what he is thinking and what he is going through. Also on today's show, uh, black Black voters matter protesters were arrested uh, in the uh, nation's capital. We'll talk with Cliff Albright, who is the co-founder of Black Voters Matter. Also, Sherilyn Eiffel, she is stepping down as head of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. We will hear from her about why she's doing so at this time and who is going to be the new leader of the LDF, the group founded by the great Thurgood Marshall. Also, Congressman Paul Gosar of Arizona, he has been censured by the U.S. House. He's been stripped of all of his committee assignments. We'll show you what took place on Capitol Hill today. We'll also hear from him as well. Two of the men who were convicted for, for killing Malcolm X, they are going to be exonerated. We'll tell you about that, and we'll hear from the man who did a Netflix documentary to uncover who the real assassin was who killed Malcolm X. And why is a rich white man in Buffalo, New York, how did he rape four girls, but the judge gave him probation? Yeah, he clearly wasn't a brother. And also, Julius Jones is 24 hours away from being executed in Oklahoma. We have yet to hear from Governor uh, 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 Stitt. We'll also protest all around the country. Took place today. Free Julius Jones rallies. We'll tell you about that as well. It is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network from Brunswick, Georgia. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. He's right on time and it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Folks, this is a live look of the Glen County Courthouse. This is where the trial is taking place of the three white men uh, who are on trial for the murder of Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, it has been uh, quite emotional uh, over the last uh, week. Today, the defense, they actually took uh, possession of this case. The prosecution rested on yesterday. Uh, and uh, one of the men actually took the stand today to describe what took place on 
from that day, Lamont Arbery was gunned down uh, here in Georgia. Uh, like I said, uh, we are here in Brunswick, Georgia. Uh, tomorrow, uh, more than 200 black pastors will be here as a show of force, making it perfectly clear that attack on the black clergy and this family will not be tolerated. One of the white attorneys for one of the men on trial for killing Lamont uh, Arbery, he was critical and demanded to the judge that black pastors not be allowed to sit with the family of Lamont Arbery. The judge rejected that. And so you're going to see uh, a show of force tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern. We'll be broadcasting that live right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered and the Black Star Network. Uh, before I play video of what took place in the courtroom today, I want to turn to the father of Lamont Arbery. Uh, who joins us right now. Uh, sir, glad to have you here. Marcus Arbery, senior head on, head on the show before. It's good to see you. Thank you. Uh, hate to do so under these circumstances. Thank you. Uh, but uh, I, I have to ask, you know, to, 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 to see what took place today, to hear Travis McMichael go on that stand um, and, and give his version. Uh, many have said that he absolutely lied about what took place. What was going through your mind as you listened to him talk about uh, what took place uh, in taking the life of your son? Oh, God, that's the hardest thing I ever had to deal with in life. But I just seen that he just really crippled himself when he got up there because all his lies was not adding up. And so, and we seen all this and uh, Lord Hammers, he had time to think before he grabbed them guns and went out there, him and his dad and gunned my boy down. They had time to think. One of the, the the man who owned the home testified last week that nothing was stolen. Um, and I talked to Reverend Jackson, and he said in talking with you and Ahmad's mother that your son often would look at houses under construction and was studying those houses because he said he was going to build y'all a house one day. Yes. Yes, that's what's his dream. See, he was going to school to be a uh, electrician, and he was getting ready to go back to school. His number one thing always was dream that he he wanted to build me and his mama house. See, his mama had a house he bought that wasn't never built, but he just wanted to to build one. That was his dream. And he would go into houses under construction, and he would study the layout, and then would go back home and, 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 and make drawings in the notes. Yes. He that's had, what he was doing. That's what he was doing, yes. Because my boy, he didn't have to take nothing. He had that to do, and he didn't do that. So I already know what time was that. Because I'm going to tell you something, while he was studying his dream, me and his mama, his brother and sister, them were making sure he all right. He had everything he needed, so he didn't, he, he didn't have to take nothing. So that's why I knew that was a lie. Um, you've heard these attorneys say they need more bubbas on the jury. You've heard them um, attack black pastors saying, why do they need to be sitting with the family? Um, you know, it is abundantly clear uh, that, that, that the attorneys for these three white men, they, want, they are trying to play on race. Because what they need is they need one of those white jurors to say not guilty. That's right. Wow, Roland Martin, you just said the number one question. 
you know, they, they're just trying to act like race don't play a part in it. It does. You can see it every day. It's showing you, you know, and, and, and it's just bad. It, you know, it's hard for African-American people to get justice when a white man wrong. They think it's all right to just kill us and the, and, and, and the system don't work for African-American people. You know, they want to think it's too low, one for white America and one for Alcamerica. But that's a lie. If one law, everybody's supposed to be treated equally. And the law's supposed to treat everybody equal. Now, if you done wrong, you got to be counted on it. I don't care what color you are. For people out there watching and listening who um, some have not been following this story, um, who was Ahmaud Arbery? Oh, God. He was just a... Uh, uh, he, me and his mama, baby, he was the baby out of the three children of mine. And I tell you one thing, he act like he was the oldest because he was the leader to us. He always wanted us to just to love each other and get along. I tell you, I can tell you so much stories about him, it, it, it'll break your heart. Some stuff that he was doing to help people that I didn't know he was doing. But I knew his heart was in the right place. You got many people came up to me and told me, say, when they was going through something, Ma always lift them up. And he always lifted his sister and brothers up. All, all this can be, but it's just, I, I, I just can't understand why would you kill a young man like that, that with a heart like that, when you all, all you have to do is talk to him. You, you, can't, you can't talk to him balancing a gun. You bounce a gun to him. Who who, who gonna talk to you when you bounce a a a twelve gauge shotgun on a three fifty seven Magnum? And you got a, a five thousand pound truck trying to run him over. So who gonna talk to you like that? God, it just oh God, I just I just can't understand this. It's just trying to take us back to Manuel Till. You know, it, it, it just, it's the same thing going on, but they're just trying to do it in a different modern way. You know, my boy was lynched, lynched by these three white men. And the evidence shows you that every day. You, you can look at what's going on. You look at the trial, pay attention to the trial. Yeah, white men's doing crime in that neighborhood. They didn't never call the law on them. They didn't ever draw no gun on them. They didn't ever pursue them. So look at the evidence in this. Race does play a part in my son losing their life. And when you hear people say, y'all focusing on race too much, the real issue in America is not race, it's class. It's a lie. We can't keep hiding the truth. You cannot keep hiding. These guys killed my boy and they were left out here 72 days. It really tried to cover his death up. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, it, it, if it was not for the public outcry. I mean, you have these DAs who are going to let these let these guys just go on. Yes. Go home and get rid of evidence. But if that a black man did a white 
kid like that would have killed us on the spot. We'd been dead on the spot. We wouldn't have been able to go home or nothing. This stuff ain't right. So how in the world African-American people can trust this system when they keep doing us like this? Well, uh, the defense will continue tomorrow. Um, it is going to be uh, a significant show of force tomorrow uh, as well. Uh, and so uh, we will be here broadcasting that. Uh, it was important for us to be here uh, and to be able to, to tell the story as well. Uh, so um, we've had you on the show before. We appreciate you stopping by again. Uh, it's not easy at all, uh, but we certainly appreciate it. Thank you, Roland. I appreciate Thank you very it. Thanks much. My brother. Thanks I much. like you because you keep it real. You tell the truth what's going on for real. That's why we're here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I appreciate God bless it. you, man. Yes, sir. Thank you very All much. Right. Thank you. Uh, folks, um, we're going to, uh, first of all, if we have the video from the, today's court proceedings, uh, go ahead and play some of what took place today. Uh, go ahead and play what took place today in the courtroom. That having that just happen, just catching him creeping through that front yard and obviously trying to uh, avoid detection and then doing what he did there and then going into the house and then walking around in there like it's no big deal was was alarming. Alarming why? Because I wouldn't think anyone acting normal would do that and somebody that's that's willing to act like they're they have a gun or, or act like that they will harm you to prevent you from asking them or doing anything there and then go in and just acting all normal and nonchalant is, and never catching the guy knowing what he's doing is just, it just says, oh, what's going on? He finally stops. Okay. okay. Great. Um, I want to talk to you. I want to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. So he finally, we finally stopped, asked what's going on. He never says anything to me. He's still looking at me angry. I'm thinking, man, man this guy's, yeah, this could be volatile, you know, this, Let's be kind of watching here. I'll ask him again, hey, what is what happened down the road? Why are people pointing down the road? And where are you running from? He didn't say anything, and he's still kind of in the same spot he is. He's not um, he's not squaring up or anything like that. He's just standing there. And then I said, hey, the police are on the way. As soon as I said the police, he turned. Man, stop me. I want to talk to you. What's he doing? That's what I, I want to talk to you is actually what I was there for. Does he stop running at any point? No, he at this point, he is still running. But I noticed... Um, that he's he looks very angry. He's um, describe that. What do you mean? Mad. Um, it was it wasn't what I expected um, from just coming up and talking to him. Uh, it was uh, it was clenched teeth, um, closed brow. He was he was mad, which made me think that right something something's happened. I mean, why would Again, folks, uh, three white men on trial here in um, Brunswick, Georgia, Glenn County, for the death of Amara Arbery. We will be here tomorrow as well, as I said, covering the events taking place. Uh, the Transforming Justice Coalition, they've been on the ground here from day one, uh, bringing attention to this case uh, as well. And so we'll be chatting with them a little bit later in the show. I'm going to go to a quick break. We come back. We're going to talk with Cliff Albright, the co-founder of Black Voters Matter, uh, about the protests and the arrests that took place today in the nation's capital, dealing with the issue of of voting rights. That is next on Roller Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from Brunswick, Georgia, on the Black Star Network. Back in a moment.
Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where you going? Yo, what's up? This your boy Ice Cube. Hey, yo, Peace World. What's going on? It's the Love King of R&B, Raheem Devon, and you're watching Roller Martin, Unfiltered. Today, the nation's capital, a number of people were arrested uh, in front of the White House protesting voting rights, trying to demand the White House take more action to get the Affordable People Act and the John Lewis Voting Act passed. Joining us right now is Cliff Albright, co-founder of Black Voters Matter. Cliff, always glad to have you on the show. Always glad to be here, Roland. Thank you. Well, if I wasn't here in Brunswick, Georgia, we would have been out there, of course, covering you guys today. Uh, today's event is about keeping the pressure, keeping the attention uh, on this very issue. We've seen these acts of civil disobedience take place re uh, relentlessly over the last several months. Uh, and so is it going to be a ratcheting up of the pressure uh, on the Senate to do more? Because Republicans, they're passing these gerrymandered districts uh, that are going to guarantee uh, their power. They're diminishing black uh, power, diminishing Latino power. And so what what they are doing, they are trying to guarantee and cement white power in many of these states. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, we're seeing it happening already. Of course, you know uh, well what's been going on in, with Texas and every district thing. You know, we're seeing it in, in North Carolina where they've created some gerrymandered, uh, racially gerrymandered uh, districts. We're seeing it in Georgia right now where they're doing the same thing. And so this notion that, that you know, voting rights legislation, which, again, is not just about voting access. That's important. That's near and dear to our hearts. But it's also about redistricting and, and gerrymandering and, and making sure that we don't have black and brown folks, even as our, our numbers are going up in the census, that we're losing electoral power in many of these states. And so, uh, yes, we've got to uh, uh, ramp this up. We can't wait. This notion that we can wait until until January, until after the holidays and get the voting rights, or even that we could wait until they deal with all these other issues and deal with the debt increase. It's got to happen now because once these maps are drawn and once, uh, you know, um, boards of elections start start preparing ballots for upcoming elections, you can't undo that. Most most courts won't even undo it, even if it's found that, that it shouldn't have been done because the process is already in place. Time is ticking. It's got to be urgent. We've got to ramp it up. That's what we've been doing with these White House demonstrations along with Black Voters Matter, uh, League of Women's Voters, People for the American Way. And we're going to continue to do so all throughout, you know, throughout the rest of this winter, demanding that they don't go on a recess until they pass voting rights. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. And one of the things that you and Latasha Brown have constantly said is you cannot out-organize and out-mobilize the gerrymandering going on because what they are doing is trying to guarantee that they are going to win seats. And so even if you turn people out, it's still not going to matter because they're going to ensure that they win. Exactly. I mean, they're literally defining um, the boundaries and defining the rules of the games and defining who the voters are. They are picking the voters uh, for for the elected officials that they want to see. And once they do that, no, we can't out-organize that. You, you, we simply won't have the numbers because we have been split up in such a way, sometimes with lines coming right down the street uh, or cutting through neighborhoods in all kinds of crazy ways in a way where our voting power has been diluted. You cannot out-organize that, not to mention that that once you, once you got the, the the gerrymandering impact, even even if you somehow deal with that in terms of organizing and mobilization, you've still got features in some of these bills where, where they can come in and overturn uh, elections. That's the election subversion part of much of this voters pressure that we're seeing across the country. You cannot out-organize that. It has got to be dealt with uh, through legislation. It's going to have to ultimately be dealt with through the courts. That raises a whole other issue because we got to deal with the nature of the Supreme Court. But at the end of the day, this is not as simple as what the White House is thinking, that black folks are just going to come out and once again, you know, play the role of superheroes and magical Negroes and come out and save the country. That's not going to happen. It's not fair for them to even think that that's going to happen. That's not a burden that we're going to take, especially after we done did that in 20 and then came back in, in January 21 in Georgia and did that. The reason we did that was to give folks power so that they can make sure we're not in this situation. You cannot fail us and then come back to us to save you because you failed to pass the legislation. That's not happening. So 
what is next? Uh, look, bottom line is they passed the $1.2 trillion uh, infrastructure plan. Now they're debating another bill. And so, okay, uh, when, okay, President Joe Biden, when is the full court press? Uh, okay, Schumer, okay, Pelosi, when is the full court press? And not only that, where in the hell are all these white liberals, all these people, these other organizations? I keep seeing black people getting arrested. I keep seeing black women. I keep seeing black men. I keep seeing black organizations. Where in the hell are these progressives? Why aren't they as active? Where are where are these Latino organizations? Where are these Asian organizations? You know, we're out here fighting for democracy, for voting rights, and it seems it's just us. Yeah, you know, I, I will say this, two two things on that. You know, I will say this, that, you know, these actions that we've been doing um, at, at these White House actions over the past three months, uh, the, the coalition has grown. You know, I said it uh, at one of the earlier actions where I said, you know what, we're out here. I think it was five of us getting arrested that day. I said, tomorrow there'll be more of us using a line from, from Hamilton. And sure enough, in each of the successive actions that we've done at the White House, there have been more people. Today, we had over 100, I think somewhere between 120, 140 people getting arrested. It's been a diverse group. You know, we've got a lot of different uh, religious organizations, clergy, Jew Jewish organizations, Catholic organizations, of course, you know, uh, on the black uh, the black church tradition has been out here. And a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of organizations have been a part. But to your point, it's not enough, right? We haven't seen enough of that. Many of the groups that you've called out, um, you know, we haven't seen enough of that. Like, you said we haven't seen enough of the, the Asian American groups. We've seen labor out here, uh, but we haven't seen enough of it. And you know, so we do need more people. Yes, we know there's a lot going on with, with infrastructure and build back better, and that fight is important, but we need more people coming out and leaning in to uh, into this voting rights battle. Here's the good news though, Roland. I'm gonna say this real quick. The good news is this: it's working, right? What we're doing is working. The pressure is working. A few months ago, Joe Manchin was saying, he wrote an op-ed, I'll never uh, support the, the um, For the People Act. Now there's a piece of legislation out there that, that essentially has his fingerprints on it, still to see whether or not he's going to go as far as ending the fill or modifying the filibuster to make it happen. But we're not where we were four months ago, right? Joe Biden, who, who went into a town hall and said, you can't mess with the filibuster because it'll cause chaos, is now saying that he's down for some type of filibuster reform. And there's been some motion, even on a couple of senators like, like Carper from Delaware, uh, who of, of some of those folks that were on the fence, who are now saying that they will support it. We believe more of them will come out and say that if, if Biden does more than just say, oh, you know, I could go for it, to saying, look, y'all, I demand this. If he comes to Congress the way that he did for infrastructure and knocks on some doors and speaks to folks in, in private meetings with the senators and says, I'm not just willing to do filibuster reform, I am asking, I am pleading, I am demanding that you, Democratic caucus, do filibuster reform, more of them will come out and be more vocal about it. That's why we're at the White House making this, this demand. And that's why I've just had the fourth time of getting arrested over the past four months. But it's work and we're going to keep it up, and we believe that we've just got a little bit further to go. We've just got to push a little more harder, and we're going to be where we need to be, and we'll have the voting rights, not because they wanted to, but because movement pushed them to and forced them to. It shouldn't take that much work, but we're here to get it done. Cliff Albright, co-founder of Black Voters Matter. We surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I'll see you in Brunswick tomorrow. 
Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Uh, folks, speaking of pushing to folks to get things done, that is what is happening in Oklahoma, where Julius Jones uh, could be executed in 24 hours unless the governor of Oklahoma steps in uh, and ends this. His pardon and parole board has already voted twice, three to one, uh, to uh, uh, call for him to get uh, clemency for him to be removed off of death row, but he has not acted. Joining us right now is Pastor Mike McBride, uh, the director of the OKC uh, Free camp, uh, live free campaign uh, for Julius Jones. Uh, in a few min- minutes, uh, candlelight vigil is going to start. Uh, we are down to the wire. Uh, this, this, look, the governor said, hey, needs to be a hearing. That was a hearing. They voted. We saw what happened there, yet still he's taking no action. Um, has he given any indication to you or the family why he's drawing this out uh, to the last hours? The governor has irresponsibly fallen silent. Uh, He has uh, swallowed his tongue. Uh, He has not uh, fulfilled the honorable discharge of his office. He has not met with the family. Uh, We are hearing from staffers and others close to the attorney general that they are uh, pushing the governor to execute Julius Jones, even though, as you stated, uh, the party and parole board has twice, three to one, uh, recommended uh, clemency. So we we're, we're very troubled by the governor's silence, and we're calling on him to come out literally tonight uh, and extend clemency, follow the advice of his own board. We're going to be holding vigil tonight to uh, demand that response. Um, when is the last time you uh, and others talked with Julius? How are his spirits? How is he feeling? Uh, clearly, uh, he has to be anxious uh, because He's getting closer and closer to this execution date. Earlier today, we literally drove two and a half hours uh, to have, without the governor's uh, intervention, this may have been the last time uh, the mother, the daughter, the brother, and the father had a face-to-face in-person visit with Julius Jones. Uh, Understandably, uh, Julius is anxious, but not just Julius, the whole family. We are all in a terrible, painful waiting game. The governor has multiple times said that he would uh, follow the guidance of his uh, parole and pardon board. He has not done so. He's given us false deadlines. Here we are 24 hours before the execution of Julius Jones, and he is claiming he's praying. Uh, It is clear to me this governor is not praying. He is stalling. He is uh, demonstrating himself to be a coward, quite frankly. And we're calling on the governor to show some bravery, to show some moral uh, fortitude, and declare what his decision is and take all of us off of the hook of having to wander all the way up into uh, the point of a, of a potential execution. And again, as I said, there were rallies that taking place today in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Los Angeles, California, Washington, D.C., Newark, New Jersey, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. And so uh, this free Julius Jones effort has really broadened uh, yes. over uh, the past several months. Yes. And, and it's worth saying there are now countries all across the world who are weighing in. We've had Denmark, Italy, uh, uh, Slovakia, uh, Belgium countries that are sending international human rights violation letters to the United States government, compelling them to intervene. Uh, This case has become national in scope. We shared that with Julius. Uh, Certainly he's humbled by that reach, but is still wondering why is it that the governor refuses to meet with his family? Why is it that the governor refuses to extend to him, a citizen of Oklahoma, the, the justice that he deserves? 
And so we are indeed continuing to call out. We will have a vigil in a few moments. There may be those who will risk arrest to continue to raise uh, the moral outrage of a governor who is derelict in his duties to literally follow the process that he put in place with his own appointed uh, board members. The governor must keep his word. The evidence shows that there is so much doubt in this case. Scripture says God has no pleasure. The scripture says God has no pleasure in the death of anyone. The governor is praying to this God. He says that he ought not have uh, the, the cowardice that he is showing. Free Julius Jones. Bring him back to his family. And let us go on with the healing process that this state so need, needlessly uh, deserves. Pastor Mike McBride, we surely appreciate it, sir. Thank you so very much for joining us on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Thank you, my brother. I'm going to bring my panel now, A. Scott Bolden, former uh, chair of the National Bar Association Political Action Committee, uh, Monique Presley, uh, lawyer uh, and a crisis manager, Robert Patillo, executive director, Rainbow Push Coalition, Peach Tree Street Project. Uh, glad to have you here. Uh, Robert's a little soft. Uh, he's supposed to join me out here on the lawn in front of Glen County Courthouse. I guess it was too chilly for him, so he retreated to his comfy hotel room. And so thank you for giving us the visual of your mate. <laughs> up bed. Robert, thank you very much. Um, Roland, don't, let's, uh, let's, and you bragging or complaining, Roland. Just get to the question. Look, Come on. Look, Roland, don't act like I'm just sitting next to an open window looking at the ocean on Jekyll Island or something. Yeah, he's in Brunswick. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, uh, matter of fact, Henry, go ahead and take a shot. We got this nice empty chair uh, that was set up, all that hard work that was put in place to bring a, a headset. This is where you're supposed to be, but you're sitting in your hotel room. Fine, whatever. Uh, let me go ahead and start with Monique. Uh, um, I, I wanna, I, I, yeah, okay, gotcha. I want to first start, Monique, with uh, today's trial. The defense has started. Uh, uh, Travis McMichael goes on the stand. He couldn't keep his story straight even while he was sitting up there. No, he couldn't keep his story straight. But even if you listen to the clip that you uh, played, yeah. every single thing he said is like racial profiling 101, 201, 301. Yeah. He looked angry, furrowed brow. A uh, mean look on his face, suspicious walking in, trying to hide, acting like he had a weapon. I mean, it is it is garbage from start to finish. These are the things that, as your guest said, um, these these are the things that have been used unfortunately, for, for decades and, and I dare say for generations to justify the killing of black men and women. Um, they clearly, uh, Robert, are hoping, can they appeal uh, to the Bubba in one of these jurors uh, to keep uh, these three uh, from getting uh, the death penalty? Look, one of the things I think are going to come, uh, we're going to have to look at after this case is over is, one, why this case was not removed to a different jurisdiction. Because when you have something as racially charged as this and that has this much uh, local attention, you usually want to move it to a different part of the state so you can avoid avoid those local prejudices. Uh, also, we have to look at this jury composition. Now, to most of us listening to that testimony, it sounds like an open and shut case, which we, you know, uh, warmed up the electric chair already. But in reality, you have 11 white women on the jury. You have two people who 
who are former law enforcement officers. One of the individuals accused in this case is a former law enforcement officer. We have one person who is a former uh, military officer. One of the, uh, Mr. McMichael talked about his military service in the Coast Guard uh, on the stand today. Uh, you have somebody who's a 911 operator. Part of this case deals with a 911 call. So the fact that you have a jury composition of that nature uh, kind of gives you the idea why they're so brazen on the stand, why they are putting this information out there, because in any other jurisdiction and any other jury composition, uh, you would never put Michael on the stand to say some of the crazy things he said today, because as Monique said, he was literally describing racially profiling, hunting down and killing somebody, and they used that as their defense. And don't forget, Scott, uh, you had these white DAs here, one after the other, who refused to actually investigate this case. And it was only the public pressure yeah. that led to the Georgia Bureau of Investigation taking over this case. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, 60 days before uh, these people were investigated and charged, the DAs walked away from it. Uh, they had conflicts, and they still made their decision. This is a sad case. Now, I want your, your listening audience to really appreciate how sad this case is. I, I listened to uh, Arbery's, uh, Ahmaud Arbery's father, and then you juxtapose that with the testimony of one of the defendants. The only reason he's on the stand is because they think they need his testimony and the jury to hear his testimony, because normally that doesn't happen. And Monique is right. This is just racial profiling, one, two, three, four, five. But, but, but then what isn't he saying? He's got a shotgun. He's chasing Arbery. He's in a pickup truck, right? And he's got another gun with, the, with two other people, and they corner him, according to them, like a rat, if you will, and they use the N-word. And then it's almost as if they expect him to say, okay, you got me, hands up, don't shoot. They haven't identified themselves as police officers. Oh, I'm sorry, because they're not a police officer. Oh, they want to do a citizen's arrest? Well, if it's a property crime, coupled with the racial profiling testimony, if it's a property crime, you can't even do a citizen's arrest under the old law. And so what does Arbery do? He's trapped, and what does he do? He grabs the gun, except he doesn't have the trigger. He's got the end of the gun. Guess what's going to happen then? The only person that can pull that trigger is the defendant that was on the stand. It is right for not only corruption, but right for, for death and a killing and a murder, which is why vigilantism in most states and all states is, is outlawed. It is a sad case because Arbery should be here. He was killed for running while black. And then the heartbreaking story of his father told us that, that he went to these houses, he studied them. He was going to build a house for his mother and father. That's not a convenient fact because otherwise he didn't steal anything. If he was there several times, it makes all the sense in the world. And so we're, we're down in Brunswick with this trial and this judge and these defense lawyers and a jury that is just problematic on its face. Let's hope and pray that those 12 jurors do justice, right, and ignore the nonsense that the defense is putting on the stand. We got to hope and pray for the right verdict in this trial. Barbara Arnwise, the founder of the Transformative Justice Coalition, they have been here uh, from day one, uh, standing with this family, uh, Barbara. You know, the point that Robert made, in any world, people would say, this is an open and shut case. Yes. You cannot trust 
that being the case when you have one of these white attorneys who said we need more Bubba's on the jury? <laughs> yes. Well, and, and, and Bubba's ain't just white men. It's also white women. That's right. And remember that this is the uh, trial where we already had, during jury selection, one of the potential, quote, qualified jurors was, in fact, uh, married to a white supremacist, uh, had a husband who belonged to that group. Well, I just want people to really understand that, However, the fact that they put McMichael on the stand is that they have done a read and they realize that they're in trouble, that even with all of the white privilege and everything else, that the jurors are concerned about what has happened here. Now, will they be a whole squad jury where you had an all-white jury that convicted that police officer of serial rape and gave him, what, 365 years? Uh, We'll see. But uh, will it uh, but will it be a jury that will nullify itself and or will it be a hung jury? We will have to find out. But I do want to say that they do recognize that they got a problem. They never would have put them on the stand unless they recognize that they have a problem. Uh, Well, uh, it has certainly been uh, quite interesting. Um, Robert, you here you're here with Reverend Jackson. Uh, There's going to be a major show uh, of black uh, preacher focus tomorrow. I don't don't know if they're going to be. I don't know. There are enough microphones uh, uh, to capture all these preachers who are going to be here tomorrow. Uh, but uh, you know, one of those when he when he attacked when he when he attacked Reverend Jackson, when he attacked Reverend Sharpton, when he specifically tried to get black pastors removed. Yes. Well, he's about to see a a, a few more show up tomorrow, Robert. Well, you know, when I saw that clip, it was funny because I was at home in Atlanta, and as soon as that clip played, my wife started packing a bag. She said, you're going to Brunswick uh, because, you know, you don't say Reverend Jackson's name. That's like saying Candyman into the mirror. You know he's going to show up. He's going to pull up on you. And so we've been, to, we've been to churches in Savannah this week, in Brunswick this week. We were in Jacksonville yesterday. Uh, and yes. so it's going to be uh, from the work that Barbara Arnwine and Transformative Justice have put in on the ground, in addition to the work that uh, many of the other organizations have done, it's going to be a full day of events, marches, motorcades, uh, rallies, prayer visuals. We're going to make sure that the black church is heard and that they understand that when you're, uh, you don't come to the South and talk bad about black preachers. I think they need to understand the power of the black church that they still have, particularly (laughs) in this region and particularly in this case. Uh, it's never a wise idea, Monique, to sit to stand up in court and say, "Well, I don't know why he here. He don't have a church here. Why he got to sit with the family?" And it's like, "Oh, like yes. oh, that's how you want to roll." Right? Yeah, and the, at that's we see that more and more, don't don't we? They say the quiet part out loud, uh, and and they don't even yes. recognize that what they're saying is to quote the trial judge reprehensible to me as a defense attorney that is the real cardinal mistake that he made he did something that caused his alienation from the trial judge who is deciding his client's fate that is completely unacceptable. You don't say or do anything in a court of law that is going to put you in the judge's crosshairs. We've been seeing that over and over again in all of these cases in the past couple of weeks. But then to say it in such a way that, I mean, I couldn't figure out which part was screaming in me more, the lawyer in me, the preacher in me, but I called everybody I know 
want to know, mm -hmm. don't know. It didn't even matter. I'm like, all roads lead there. They're calling for black pastors. Did you hear that, y'all? They want more black pastors. So they about to, as the young folks say, blink around and find out tomorrow. But Barbara, he even pissed off. He, he, Barbara, he even pissed off the other attorneys. Yes. Because they were like, man, what the hell you doing? Right. Because, in fact, one of them came out and said that it was asinine and that mm -hmm. he couldn't join it. But listen, let's be very clear. However, when he moved for the mistrial, they all joined in. Uh, so and today he his rationale was once again all over the place because the first pastor that he mentioned, Reverend ba uh, Baker, Reverend Baker grew up with Marcus Arbery. They have mm -hmm. been family friends and pastors forever. So this is all about the fact that they don't like the power of the black church when we are activistic, when we stand up for justice. That's why black pastors need to be here tomorrow. That's why we're marching at 3 o'clock tomorrow into the community, to the Ahmad Arbery mural. And that's why Reverend Jesse Jackson, even though he is ill, as we know, has put his body on the line to fight for justice in this case. Uh, Scott. Yeah, you know, um, Roland, the other thing is, is the comfortability. I talk about this a lot with white privilege and white folks. He was, even if he felt that way about yes. black preachers, he felt even more comfortable <laughs> saying it. And if you look at the lawyers for the defendants, they're bubbles. So you shouldn't be surprised at their white privilege and their racist statements, if you will. <laughs> They're bubbas, too. You can have lawyers that are bubbas in Brunswick, Georgia. The last thing I want to say is tomorrow's going to be really, really interesting. Because if you get 200 pastors yes. down there, as many in the courtroom as you can, the prosecution is going to be cross-examining, probably, the defendant on the stand. And, and, and that ought to be motivation enough for the prosecution, no matter how much they don't normally cross-examine defendants, this is a simple cross, right? You take every fact he said, he yes. was menacing, he wouldn't stop running, he was this, he was that, okay? And you say, you didn't know whether he was angry or not. You didn't know whether he had a gun. In fact, you didn't even right. see a gun, did you? Madness. And you didn't even know why he was at the right. house. You didn't know whether anything was stolen, did you? And you go point by point by point, and he can look more stupid tomorrow than he did today on the direct examination. But the prosecutor's got to take <laughs> his time and be fearless and unwind and destruct this, um, this racist narrative and, and, and convince the jury that this is a human condition. This is humanity, that this boy ought to be alive. And he died at the hands of these two races. He's got to be fearless in his cross as well as his closing. Roland, can I add something? Um, Barbara, yeah, go ahead. I guess not. No, I just, I just, I wanted to say that these pastors aren't coming for show; they're coming to pray, uh, and prayer mm. changes things. That's and so the right. people who are watching, the people who are watching, can join. If you can't be in Brunswick, you don't have to be. You, you can pray online. You can pray as you watch. And this yes. is the history yes. of the role of the black pastor in the civil rights movement, in the fight for justice, in the fight for criminal justice, in the fight for reform. There have always been black pastors, not just Dr. King, but 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 scores and scores of them standing, putting their bodies on the line, as my as as my elder sister Barbara just said. 
for the sake of justice. And that yes. is what is happening tomorrow. People need to understand that this is not a play. This is not a game. This is not a show. That is not why Reverend Sharpton was there. That is not why Reverend Jackson was there. That's not why Pastor Mark Baker, whose, whose church is under the leadership of Bishop Jakes, that's not why any of us, and you better believe it's about to be a world praying, so, so perhaps the defense is going to get its worst nightmare, not just in that they embarrassed themselves, not just that it, they called us out, but they called on us to call on the one who's got the power, and that's God. And, that, and, and so I, I would invite everyone to join and support in this movement, this necessary action tomorrow, starting at 11 a.m., I believe it is. But, but whatever the time says on, on everything, join it. Uh, Barbara, last you know, question. Yes. First of all, okay, so I didn't know about the three. I, hold, I, I didn't know about the three p.m. thing tomorrow. So, yes. So, what is happening tomorrow? Because uh, we're here, so we need to properly plan for it. Yes. Okay, so 11 a.m. That's going to be uh, the rally. Okay, which is happening here at the, court, the Glenn County Courthouse. At, then what's happening? At 3 o'clock p.m., we march into the community every Thursday since we've been here, since the so trial gonna, started. So that's going to start where? At, we're going to start right here, right okay. on 8th Street, right across from the courthouse. So so, so across we'll from here. we line up. Okay, yes. you're going to line up, and then you're marching. We're going to march to the Ahmad Arbery mural. Okay. And we're going to pray and take a knee. Uh, in honor of Ahmad's spirit and the pray for justice here. And, the, and that mural is located where? It's on Albany and G Street. Okay. And I've been there several times, it, it, obviously. And that's where, he was, that's where he was shot and killed? No, that's just gotcha. where his image is. Gotcha, Yes, because gotcha. he was shot and killed in Satilla Shores out in, uh, out in the county. Gotcha. But, uh, but what I want people to understand is that they've been trying to get rid of us, Mark. Uh, Roland, since we've been here, uh -huh. this is like the seventh or eighth motion they made. Yeah, yeah, and they, you they, they, they mentioned y'all in court. Oh, they always do because they hate the fact that they're not accustomed to black activism. They're, uh, you got to understand there's only four employers in this city, and they tell people, you better not. You better not show up. You better not. Uh, vote. You better not be active. So there is a problem. But one thing that's happened is that the community's just showing up now. Mm -hmm. And they're showing out and it's shocking them because they realize that there's some real fundamental transformational politics happening here. So there's going to be a difference in Glenn County. There's going to be a difference in Brunswick okay. because black folks are waking up. And not only that, they are showing up. And they will continue this fight beyond this case. So I am you know, grateful to everybody. Do come. Be part of this. Uh, black pastors, you got a voice to be heard. Let's inspire this community. Let's keep this movement for justice going. All right, then. Barbara Arnwine, Transformer Justice Coalition. We certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. All right, folks. Uh, got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, we're going to talk with our panel about uh, freeing Julius Jones. We're going to talk about uh, the two men who are being exonerated for killing of Malcolm X. Uh, Y'all, we got so much more to talk about. It's a jam-packed show. Uh, and then I can't, and I know our legal panel cannot wait to talk about this rich white boy uh, in New York who raped four girls, and the judge said he prayed on it and gave him probation, no jail time. Folks, that is next. All of that on Roller Martin Unfiltered, broadcasted live from Brunswick, Georgia, on the Black Star Network.
Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of you. Something yep. that's gonna put you in that. You gonna remember this? Yeah, we was on tour, so Brian wanted to be the headliner. Now your headliner was a new edition, so we're like, okay, you want to be a headliner? No problem. Since so, you think you big, you that big and bad? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I'll never forget one night we, uh, two of the guys, the driver got lost. I think it was Westbury we planned, and I'll never forget. Um, we asked, they asked him if he didn't mind going on first and uh, we, we would close out. 
And he, they came back and said, he said, no. I give him his prop. He took it like a man. <laughs> it was rough out there. By the time he would come out, you could hear echoes. <laughs> wow. And once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really, who has time for that? Let's go. I'm I'm she ordered herself a ladder with Prime one day delivery, and she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changes everything. What's up, y'all? I'm Will Packer. Hello, I'm Bishop T.D. Jake. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Rolling Martin Unfiltered. Welcome back to Roller Martin on Filtered. Uh, we, of course, uh, focus all the time uh, on uh, black and missing uh, folks uh, who, uh, again, they don't get the same level of attention uh, as so many other stories. This is Carmen Barrett. Uh, she's been missing from Baltimore since August 17th, 2021. The 14-year-old is approximately 5 feet 3 inches tall. Weighs 150 pounds with brown hair and dark brown eyes. If you have any information on Carmen Barrett, please contact the Baltimore City Police Department at 443-396-2488, 443-396-2488. All right, folks, uh, I, I, I can't wait to, to, to deal with this uh, with woo, my uh, legal panel. Uh, I came across this story. It is out of upstate New York where a confessed rapist has received probation because the judge determined it would be inappropriate to send him to prison. Christopher Belter Jr. pled guilty to third-degree rape and attempted first-degree sexual abuse along with two counts of second-degree sexual abuse. He sexually assaulted four teenage girls. Yet Judge Matthew J. Murphy III placed Belter on probation for eight years. Now, Belter also has to register as a sex offender. Attorneys for the victims claim Belter's white privilege and wealth attributed to his light punishment. Now, the judge said that him having to register as a sex offender would hang over his life. And he would have to deal with that reality. And Robert, the judge, said he prayed on this decision. This they look. This thing, this story is so crazy. Hold up, I'm, I gotta un further unpack it. The story is so crazy because they had these parties at his home. His parents were participant, supplying the girls with alcohol and marijuana. They also go on trial. And they said that this home was like the party house. He raped one girl, and she said she looked at the leaves uh, to take her mind off of it. So this wasn't like a guy who fondled a girl's breast that is still grossly inappropriate. No, he raped, sexually assaulted four girls, and the judge said, 
Now, you you shouldn't go to jail. I think people forget just the sheer power that state and superior court judges have in this country. And I, I've been, my new push is to get more black lawyers to run for judge. Uh, it's a thankless job. You spend a lot of time calling the calendar most days, of, um, usually not exciting, but we're going to have to get on these benches across the country. We've got to start running for judge. We have to start running for DA. We have to start running for solicitor general because the only way that we make changes in the system is to become the system itself. Uh, and so I think that's going to have to be the, the push going forward because the amount of leeway, uh, that many, uh, that many times judges have in deciding uh, cases and deciding sentencing, even when, even when there's an agreement between the defense counsel and the prosecution, the judge always has the option to do, uh, to divert from those uh, uh, from those uh, that agreement and issue whatever verdict or whatever sentence they feel, and you can either take it or leave it. So uh, it's very important for us to really get into the arena and become those judges, become those prosecutors up and down the line across the country, because we're going to continue to see these misuses of justice as long as we're on the outside looking in. This is, I mean, I remember I remember the case, Monique, out of California where uh, it was a Stanford student uh, who uh, sexually assaulted uh, a young lady uh, and the judge uh, did not send him to jail. Uh, this is even more egregious. This were four underage girls who he raped. And the judge goes, yeah, it, it'd be inappropriate for him to go to jail. She's frozen. Right there. All right, we'll get her shot straight. Scott, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's even worse than what you gave us, Roland. As I researched this case, these were more than one incident. There were, there were an incident with two young women when he was underage. And if he and he got probation, I think on the first two, and that if he completed probation, he would get youth offender treatment, which is even more egregious because then, as a juvenile, he couldn't he, he it won't be on his record, if you will. Then you had the second two, right? And because he had completed the first probationary period where he'd get youth, uh, youth offender treatment, like he would in most jurisdictions. Now, that's the basis, arguably, why the judge said, well, he completed the first set of probation, and he's continued to be, be um, have contrition, and he hasn't gotten any more trouble before, and so I'm going to give him eight years of probation, and that won't be easy. Are you kidding me? That is, that is an outrageous determination. And you know, if he were black, the tropes of Mandingo warriors sleeping with these young white girls they would have thrown the book at him. Look at Jimmy Gardner. He played for the Chicago Cubs in West Virginia. A sexually alleged sexually assaulted two white women. He got 70 plus years as a first offender. I don't care where this jurisdiction is. It would have been different for black people. And I got and, and it, 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 it just it, it just burns you up. It's offensive, actually, to our criminal justice system. And there's no way for it to appeal the sentencing, if you will, by the government. And so I think my colleague is right about getting more black judges. But how about this? How about just better judges, period, mm -hmm. right, who have a sense of justice and fairness and equality? Monique, one of the attorneys for the victim said uh, when it happened, she raced into the bathroom and just threw up. Mm -hmm. She could not believe what this judge said and did. Right. But I mean, I'm just not surprised. 
it's, it's, it's unfortunate, uh, the imbalance in the system, but, but we find that imbalance uh, both ways. I, I dropped off, so I, I couldn't hear what one of my colleagues said, but what we also find um, is that the type of leniency and the type of um, use of judicial discretion that sometimes should be given in these cases is not given when it is black and bl brown people. Uh, so you have people who are charged as adults for sexual misconduct, for, for rape or for sexual assault, for things that happened when they were teens, for things that happened that uh, were arguably consensual, and there is no uh, equitable remedy offered. There, there is nothing offered, and they they end up serving jail time. So it it goes both ways. Uh, and I didn't study all of the particulars of this case to know whether any leniency was required. Uh, but it is not as simple to me as whatever gets done to the black people should get done to the white people. What really it is, is sometimes what is happening for the white people should also be happening for black and brown people. Well, Monique, I talked uh, about, absolutely. You, I, I talked about youth, offender youth offender treatment earlier in the case. And so there was some of that going on, but it's still an outrageous decision. These four young white women, they could be white, red, white, blue, or yellow. They were raped, which is a, a crime of power and punishment and violence. There's no way you can escape punishment when you do that to a male or female, black, white, yellow, or brown. You've got to suffer. And you can rehab all you want, but you can't engage in that deviant behavior and escape jail. Are you kidding me? Bubba should be waiting for him right now. Uh, he should be. To that, to, to, to that point about uh, uh, not being able to appeal the sentence, uh, you know what? This is one of those things where you go after and you get that judge off the bench. This, yeah, this, this yeah, is just absolutely. beyond uh, egregious. You, you, this judge should never, ever determine another case after this ruling. Simple yeah. as that. Simple as that. Folks, hold tight one second. I got to go to break. We come back. We'll discuss a couple of cases out of New, uh, excuse me, out of North Carolina. One, uh, the family of a black man shot and killed by cops uh, is suing uh, in federal court, and the governor of North Carolina pardons a brother who did, who spent more than twenty years in prison for a crime he did not commit. How much is he going to get from the state? I'll tell you that's next. Also, we'll discuss the two black men who are being exonerated officially tomorrow for the murder of Malcolm X. And we'll talk with a brother who did a Netflix documentary uh, about this uh, case where he, he discovered through his research who the real killer was. All of that next. Roland Martin Unfiltered broadcasting live from Brunswick, Georgia on the Black Strike Network. Back in a moment. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only
Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. Hello, I'm Bishop T.D. Jake. Hi, y'all doing? It's your favorite funny girl, Amanda Seals. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. What up, Lana Well, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Folks, uh, the family of Andrew Brown Jr., the man, of course, killed by North Carolina deputy in April, they are demanding their civil, they are amending their civil lawsuit, uh, claiming one of the deputies uh, altered uh, his gun before turning it into investigators. Officers attempted to arrest Brown and execute a search warrant for drug-related crimes when they shot Brown as he was trying to flee. Investigator Daniel Meads was one of the several officers who shot Brown. After the shooting, he removed the remaining bullets from his gun. Mead says he was stressing out about how many times he fired his weapon at Brown's vehicle. The family, they're suing in federal court for $30 million. Now, still in North Carolina, Governor Roy Cooper finally, after intense pressure, pardoned a black man uh, who spent 24 years behind bars for a murder that he long said he did not commit. The pardon uh, uh, allows Dante Sharp to apply for $50,000 a year, up to $750,000 for his wrongful conviction. In 1995, Sharp received a life sentence for first-degree murder. He was released from prison in 2019 after a medical examiner testified that the state's theory of the shooting was not medically or scientifically possible, and the state decided against pursuing a retrial. Uh, that that case there, the thing that that was amazing about this, that was in 2019, Robert. People like Reverend Dr. William J. Barber and others, they were on this Democratic governor saying, you have got to step up and give this man a pardon. It was protest. It was pressure. Uh, and so uh, even when you have a, again, so-called ally, they had to force Cooper to do this. You're absolutely right. And back to our discussion earlier about the power of the black church and the question about activism and the uh, black pastors, this is why it is important that sometimes it takes clergy to rally people to bring together that ecumenical spirit uh, and the power of the pulpit to uh, really bring these folks to account. And we can we cannot simply allow folks to come to our communities uh, for election time and then abandon us when it's time to actually govern and do things that are in the interest of, Af of African-Americans. For every case like this, there are hundreds if not thousands around the country uh, where young men are sitting and rotting away in prison cells for crimes they never committed but simply did not have the resources or the ability to fight at the time. And I think that's part of the reason we have to put criminal justice reform central to any legislative uh, uh, package or deals that we're making in Washington, D.C. because we, we've been seeing this for as, as long as we've been in this country and unless we're willing to stand up and fight against it now when we finally have the type of political cachet needed uh, we cannot let this opportunity go to waste. Monique? What he said. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know. These, these, these cases are all, frankly, um, running together. And we, as, as Robert said, we need holistic solutions. One of the concerns that I often have, and it's, it's not 
whether it's Julius Jones or Ahmaud Aubrey, or whether it's Trayvon Martin or Mike Brown, or whether it's Joshua Feast or whatever the case may be, the difficulty is that the case-by-case -case individual solutions do not provide global um, fixes for problems that will continue to occur over and over again. So our, our solutions have to be pointed in other directions while we leave it to the attorneys to do their individual work. But you know, Roland, it's, it's, beyond, it's, it, it, it's beyond that. And I've done a lot of work in this space. The, the reality is there's a second injustice. Once these men and women are exonerated, right? That's the first fight. The second fight is the civil injustice of many states that cap or limit the amount of funds you can recover to make them whole. And many times those caps cannot compensate someone who's been wrongfully imprisoned, wrongfully uh, incarcerated and wrongfully arrested uh, for 24 years, 20 years, 30 years. And it's an archaic system in many uh, southern jurisdictions and some northern jurisdictions whereby it's a, it's, a, it's a state program or a state statute, but they all have caps on it to protect the state from massive payouts, even though they're the bad actors, state bad actors. And so when we talk about, when we talk about criminal justice reform, we cannot forget about all of these returning uh, citizens who have been absolved because of DNA or because of hard work by their lawyers, and then the second fight begins to make them whole. And I got to tell you, there's no consistency to it. It's uh, underfunded, if you will, and then others are, 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 um, uh, are sufficient, but few are sufficient. We got to take a look at it. The more people get out of jail because of DNA and what have you, the more we've got to figure out how to properly compensate them because the current state statutes are woefully inadequate. Uh, it is uh, uh, certainly, uh, certainly uh, unfortunate, again, that brother, and, and, and most he can get, 750000 24 years of his life spent in prison for a crime he didn't commit, and the most he can get is $50,000 a year. All right, folks, uh, hold a second. We come back. We're going to talk about two uh, black men being exonerated for the murder of Malcolm X. Unfortunately, one of them passed away um, uh, several years ago. Uh, and so we'll tell you about this story. It is one uh, that a lot of people uh, never believed uh, as to who was behind the murder of Malcolm X and also how the feds withheld evidence, withheld critical information, and we'll explain it all to you. That's next, Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasted live from Brunswick, Georgia, on the Black Star Network. Don't forget to support what we do by downloading our Black Star Network app. Uh, folks, again, uh, we are here. We're on the ground. We're not just sitting here in studio. Uh, and so uh, we want you to download the app, all platforms, Apple, Android, Roku, uh, Amazon Fire, Samsung, uh, Xbox, all of those platforms. So please uh, support us. And, and again, the dollars that you give to support us, allow us to travel here, be able to broadcast not just this show, but tomorrow, the pastors uh, event at 11 a.m. We're going to be doing the, uh, the community rally at 3 p.m. and then do the show at 6 p.m. We want you folks to support us. Cash App, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. Uh, PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. We've had some of the people who are supporters of the show who have been here uh, meeting, greeting us, taking pictures, and we're 
appreciate uh, them standing with us uh, uh, since we launched this show three years ago. Uh, and more from Brunswick next. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. That spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Ooh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger. That's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. You really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision, an SUV built around you. All of it. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really, who has time for that? Let's go. Fill myself. Fill she ordered herself a ladder with Prime One Day Delivery, and she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changed everything. I'm Chrisette Michelle. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com schedule release to learn more.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. All right, folks, uh, welcome back to Roller Martin Unfiltered here on the Black Star Network. So many of us uh, know about um, the assassination of Malcolm X in the Audubon Ballroom. Uh, and since that took place in 1965, uh, many have said that the individuals who were arrested, who were charged, who were convicted, who went to prison, were not responsible for that crime. Well, Manhattan DA Cyrus Vance is absolutely agreeing with that. And on tomorrow, uh, they will formally be exonerated as a result of what took place. It it is an absolutely shocking and stunning uh, development when you think about uh, what took place. And that is uh, the Manhattan DA, along with defense lawyers and the Innocence Project, uh, they are going to ask a court to dismiss the convictions of 83-year-old Muhammad Aziz and the late Khalil Islam. The New York Times, they're reporting that evidence was withheld during the trial of the, in, these individuals. They say that the FBI and others had information that pointed to someone else being the trigger man. These individuals actually had alibis that were legitimate alibis at the time of the shooting. Witnesses testified of the person who they saw shoot Malcolm X, not even matching the description of these two as well. So much conflicting information. And this has been discussed for a number of years. It was last year when the documentary dropped on Netflix. Well, one brother was so focused on finding out the truth, who killed Malcolm X. And his work also uh, was critically important in terms of shedding light uh, on this case as well. And uh, he joins us right right now. Uh, Let me bring in uh, Abdul Rahman Muhammad. Uh, Brother, glad to have you here. How you doing? My pleasure, Roland. Thank you. So... For, for for people who again you know who may have seen the news reels and heard about the story, uh, lay out for folks uh, what their version of what happened and what was described, and now what we're seeing about these undercover cops who were in the ballroom who no one even knew existed and how that information was being withheld. Uh, Because you really did a great job with this documentary of really nailing down who was behind, who was the trigger man and the ringleader behind the assassination of Malcolm X. Yes, Roland. Uh, The prosecution's case at that time involved only three men. And according to their theory of the case, it was these three men who both created the disturbance or the misdirection in the back of the room. And then once they created this uh, misdirection and this distraction, that they then rushed the stage and carried out 
the assassination of Malcolm X. They actually fired weapons, a Ruger, uh, a pistol, and a uh, sort of shotgun. Now, uh, what we have always been saying, we the scholars who have been studying this issue, is that there were actually five men involved in the uh, squad that uh, murdered Brother Malcolm, and that there were two men in the back who created the disturbance, and three men who sat in the front with the weapons, uh, the first and the most deadly of, deadliest of which was uh, William X. Bradley, who went on to become known as al-Mustafa Shabazz. Uh, he, has, he is the shotgun assassin who bore no resemblance to Thomas 15X Johnson, Khalil Islam, who they say, according to their theory, fired the shotgun. And also they say that Norman 3X Butler was also one of the shooters. Uh, they say that he fired the 45. However, he was not there either. And uh, yet both of these men were convicted in 1966, and they both served at least 20 years. In the case of uh, Brother Norman 3X Butler, today Muhammad Abdulaziz, who will be, we expect to be exonerated tomorrow, along with uh, Thomas 15X Johnson, Khalil Islam. He served 20 years, and Thomas Johnson served 22 years. But also, uh, these men, this has been a scarlet letter. Uh, they have been seen as the murderers of one of our greatest leaders. Uh, and only one of them is still alive uh, to experience this exoneration. One died being called the murderer of Malcolm X. Roland, you know, I remember uh, researching th these men and uh, looking at their prison records and it says first degree murder. And I said, man, that's a hell of a thing to carry for the rest of your life, uh, especially when you didn't do it. And especially when it is such a towering giant and leader of our people, Malcolm X, it, it absolutely destroyed their families. Uh, brother uh, Muhammad Abdulaziz, who will be in the courthouse tomorrow, and at the press conference, uh, he has, like, no relationship with his children nor his grandchildren because of the stigma, because of the shame associated with being uh, the alleged assassin or the convicted assassin of Malcolm X. It, it, it was uh, absolutely horrific. Uh, the, the shameful thing that happened here as well, which uh, Manhattan DA Cyrus Vance uh, talked about. He's, first of all, apologized on behalf of law enforcement. Uh, the withholding of information, crucial information uh, that should have gone to the defense attorneys. We've got three attorneys on our show today. And, and to think about, had they had that, Vance is saying, had that information been revealed, in all likelihood, no jury would have convicted them of these crimes. And actually, it would have led... Uh, to uh, a proper investigation of the of the individual in, in, the individuals who actually committed the crime, but NYPD, FBI were not interested in doing what was right. Roland, you know what's so appalling about this whole story is that we've known for many decades now that the FBI had nine undercover informants in the Audubon Ballroom. And the New York City Police Department, through its bossy unit, Bureau of Special Services, had at least one 
possibly more, but one that we know of, Gene Roberts, who was an undercover police officer for the New York uh, uh, City Police Department, and none of these people who were all witnesses to the assassination and gave very detailed descriptions of what the assassins looked like, not one of them was called to the stand. In fact, they weren't even, um, uh, 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 their names weren't even uh, revealed to the prosecution team uh, such that they could be called to the stand, or the defense for that matter. Uh, it, it is it is absolutely shocking and stunning. It goes to show you uh, how deep uh, COINTELPRO was, how deep, how the NYPD and the FBI despised Malcolm uh, X. And frankly, uh, they clearly were happy uh, to see him uh, no longer walking on this earth. Um, why did this gnaw at you? Uh, and, and, and how long... Uh, did you pursue this effort to try to get at the truth of what happened uh, on that fateful day, the Audubon Ballroom? You know, Roland, this question has always bothered me from my earliest days as a freshman at Howard University, where I first was exposed to the story when one of the convicted assassins, Talmadge Hare, was doing interviews with Tony Brown and Gil Noble and others uh, trying to get these two brothers exonerated. This goes back, uh, you know, 40 years when I first was exposed to it. And uh, it, it, it just, um, you know, it begged for attention. You know, it, it, was a, it, was a, it was a story and a case that could not be denied. And it just needed someone to actually care about it and carry it to the end. And it just so happens now that we're living in an age where the United States is trying to reckon with you know, it's a uh, racist, uh, troubled past. And it just it just happens that we're living in that era now where it's not as dangerous to deal with this type of material. So, I, I, you, know, um, you know, I'm happy for the brother, Brother Muhammad Abdulaziz, tomorrow will be exonerated, and Brother Khalil Islam. Uh, however, it's, a, it's a, you know, a bittersweet victory because no one can give him back the 20 years that were taken from his life. No one can restore to him the relationship uh, with his family and his grandchildren. And it's, it's just a really a, a sad and um, a disturbing story. Uh, and for those who saw that Netflix documentary, um, you, you know, uncovered, if you will, the individual who many believe was behind it and this person ended up being uh, a prominent figure uh, in uh, New Jersey, if I'm correct, uh, and has since passed away. Uh, you know, that's correct. Uh, living something of an open secret. Well known. In fact, that's, the, that's the, the problem with this whole case is that from the very beginning, from the time the convictions came down, it was never accepted by the historians and the researchers who have looked at this case because it was well known in the Muslim community who the actual assassins were. And as you say, uh, the, the last one to pass away, um, William X. Bradley, uh, his name was Al-Mustafa Shabazz, was his Muslim name for you know last couple of decades. He was given a hero send-off and was considered a pillar of the community and was given a funeral, some would say, was more um, majestic or celebratory than Malcolm X's own funeral.
Wow. Wow. Um, that is uh, uh, striking. That is uh, striking. Um, I think uh, so. My panel, each one has a question. Um, uh, 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 if I can have just ask one question of you, because uh, this is going to be, again, a, a fascinating uh, story. And you spent a whole lot of time. I'm telling you, people have not seen the, the, the Netflix documentary. You definitely want to check it out. Uh, so, uh, Robert, uh, you first. And it's interesting. I did see the documentary on Netflix. Also, took a class on political theory, Malcolm X, back while I was at Clark Atlanta University. So, this is a subject I've uh, been fascinated by for so long. Uh, how deep do you think the hole goes when it comes to determining exactly the people who are responsible for the death of Malcolm X? Because it seems a lot bigger than even these individuals. Uh, how deep do you think the rabbit hole goes? And do you think that will ever fully be uh, explored? Well, to tell you the truth, hopefully, this is just the beginning of the revelations, because uh, the Manhattan DA was able to unearth uh, evidence that even we were not privy to. Keep in mind, the Manhattan DA uh, can request governments through the Freedom of Information Act uh, unredacted, see? So when you see our series and you see all the names that are blocked out, they can request those documents uh, fully exposed. So, uh, and they also were able to um, um, un, un, you know, detect other evidence that um, was not privy to us, and um, we'll we're going to see. We know for a fact that the COINTELPRO, uh, the Cohen Counterintelligence Program with Jagger Hoover, that there were at least three high-level uh, FBI informants and the top leadership of the Nation of Islam uh, in the middle of the 1960s. So, yes, we, we're going to, and we also have to find out, you know, was the government protecting this shotgun assassin? Mm. Monique. Yes, I was just wondering what, if any, reaction there's been from the Shabazz family. Um, well, because the story is, is just breaking today, I have not had an opportunity to uh, speak to, uh, I normally, uh, speak to Sister Ilyasa Shabazz, and I have not had an opportunity. I mean, the story is just like literally breaking, you know, as we speak, and um, I have not been able to uh, to to find out what she, what her thinking is about it today. Scott, um, <clears throat> yeah, Brother Rahman, what what is so? Where do we go from here? Are are the real assassins and the co-conspirators? Are any of them still alive? Are we demanding that the Manhattan DA's office uh, uh, do more? Is this an ongoing investigation? Will anyone, you know, who's alive be held culpable uh, for his assassination or, or not, in your opinion? Well, I think now it's just, a, it's just an issue of trying to um, just determine what exactly happened and how deep our government if at all was in, involved in the assassination of Malcolm X, you know, what role did they play? Were they merely uh, instigators and in stoking hatred and vitriol against Malcolm uh, in the Nation of Islam, or did it go further, you know, to, to the point of actually, you know, recruiting uh, assassins to carry this out? I mean, these are the kind of questions that we would like to interrogate the government on uh, but, uh, you know, this, this is a political question. It requires a, 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 a political um, p 
power. It, it, it requires a, a voice. And this is the reason why it's taken so long uh, to get to the bottom of this thing to the extent to which we have already in the series is because it just, there just was no political will to do it. There was no advocate uh, for these brothers. You know, they were just forgotten and locked away. To work with the DA's office in Manhattan, uh, Alvin Bragg is going to be the new DA and an African-American brother. And I hope that you continue to press the issue. We all need to press the issue because this is bittersweet because there's still a lot of unanswered questions as well. Well, let me share this with you. Um, what well, we do know so is that Talmadge Hayer, who filed these affidavits naming his co-assassins, uh, co he is the only one of the five-man team that is still uh, alive with us. All the other um, accomplices have since passed away. Thank you. Mm. Abdurrahman Mohammed, look, uh, great work. Um, this is, of uh, course, uh, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Uh, and, yeah, there sh it should be a complete investigation, not only the Manhattan DA, but also on the federal level as well. Uh, because, again, uh, if there are individuals who are in the FBI who knew about what was going on and they're still drawing pensions, uh, look, yeah. they should also uh, have, to, have, to, have to atone for what they did uh, by being silent uh, and in their involvement in the uh, assassination of Malcolm X. Thank you, Roland. I appreciate it. Thank you so very much. All right, folks, got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, our uh, Tech Talk segment uh, brought to you by Verizon uh, features uh, brothers who are 21st century barbers. Also, Sherilyn Eiffel, the longtime leader of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, is stepping down uh, next year. I talk with her about her legacy and also what she is going to do next. It's a lot more left, folks, on Roller Martin Unfiltered, broadcasted live from Brunswick, Georgia, on the Black Star network back in a moment Alexa play our favorite song again okay I
is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language, and she really loves her grandson. Like, really loves. You know how some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it? I don't think so. Verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one. You break it, we upgrade it. You dunk it, doggy bone it. <laughs> Slam it, wham it, strawberry jam it. We upgrade it. Get a 5G phone on us with select plans. Every customer, current, new, or business. Because everyone deserves better. And with plans starting at just $35, better cost less than you think. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. All right, folks, every Wednesday uh, here on Roller Martin Unfiltered, we always talk about African-Americans and their work uh, in technology. And so uh, we got a a pretty interesting um, uh, couple of guys uh, joining us today. Um, A Shear Share app 
It's all about making it flexible for you to be able to get uh, your hair cut. Now, now we all know uh, you can't stay sitting uh, in the booth for so long. But also, but what happens if you're a barber, but you know what? You're not trying to have one location, and you can't afford uh, to do so. And so what about booth rentals? Well, guess what? Uh, stylists can use the space forever, how many days uh, they need without being tied down to monthly or weekly uh, booth rent. The app launched in 2017 is in more than 800 cities. Joining us right now, the co-founders, husband and wife, Dr. Ty and Courtney Caldwell. How y'all doing? How you doing, Roland? Hey, Roland. So happy to be here. So... So basically, are y'all the WeWork for Barbers and Silas? <laughs> well, I, I love that. You know, people have actually nicknamed us Hair b and and so we, we prefer them. <laughs> okay, all right, Hair b and I like that. That's a good one. I mean, th- this is, if, look, I mean, look, I, 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 my, my, my barber Dave in D.C., uh, him and his wife, they had a shop for a very long time. And then finally, when the pandemic hit, Dave was like, forget that, got rid of his shop, and he started just doing house calls uh, because he said it didn't make sense. You know, me paying that monthly rent locked into a lease, he said, where my customers are far more transient, and it's just easier for me if I have, you know, a regular set. I could just go to them or being able to utilize the location that that, that y'all are able to uh, provide. That's right. I mean, it's, it's that simple. You know, people use us. And, and when I say people, it's, that's hairstylists, that's barbers, that's nail technicians, that's makeup artists, that's braiders, that's estheticians, microblading artists. They all use the ShearShare app to be able to access affordable, flexible space to work when and where they need it. They are tired of having to be locked into those long-term contracts, as you mentioned. And especially in a post-pandemic environment right now, people want to be and continue to be transient. They want to go where their clients are, and they want to keep more of their hard-earned money. So at the end of the day, ShearShare connects salon and barbershop owners to individual stylists to fill their empty salon space on demand. And it's so unfortunate, Roland, and we can say this, that a lot of shops did have to close down. Yeah. And it was really at that time during COVID that a lot of um, – Barbers, barbers, and stylists had to go to their to their respective clients' homes. Well, at that time, that's all they could do. Everything was shut down, and we know that California and um, um, New York was shut down longer. So we've realized that a lot of the times that when situations like this happen, this new normal what it, is what it was. But we also realized during the COVID there was cabin fever. So we know that a lot of those customers wanted to get back to the shop. They wanted to put on clothes. They wanted to go somewhere and stop using their, their faucets in their bathroom and in their kitchen. And so we realized that at the end of the day, they want to get back to the to the place that they were classically trained. Right. Being in this industry for almost 30 years like myself and being a salon and barbershop owner for over two decades, I realized the importance of being in a place where I'm classically trained, where I have the right lighting. I have a swivel chair. I have my barber chair. I have my mirror. That mirror, believe it or not, is better than your eyesight when it comes to really getting that cut fresh the way you know we want to give it. But also just being around uh, just our family, you know, like-minded individuals that we can constantly learn from and, and continue to be around. But it gives us the opportunity to get back to doing what we really, really love to do. And I'm just glad that, you know, we had a problem with, within ourselves to try to solve this for the rest of the industry, because we know that high level wise, you know, space to rent is probably one of the highest things, one of the highest, you know, uh, cash burns yeah. in their in, in their spend. So we wanted to make it just super easy to where they didn't wasn't locked down. And we also realized this 
three to four days is really that sweet spot that, you know, licensed beauty and barbering professionals work. Yeah. And so you have that three uh, extra three or four days is just lying dormant. So we wanted to give them opportunity to not have to be locked down, but also realize that there's a re reciprocity when it comes state to state, where if they wanted to go from Houston or wanted to go from where you're from to Atlanta or go to another part of Georgia, uh, we're in Texas and we can go from Dallas to Houston and it wouldn't be a problem. All right, questions from my panel. Uh, Scott, uh, you don't have a use for Barbara, but go ahead. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing about you, Roland. I think I've got more hair than you, and I'm more oh, handsome no, than no, you. No, 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 no. Let me get to my question. I can guarantee you do not have more hair than me. <laughs> <laughs> I just I just don't have a process. I don't straighten my hair. It's just natural. You don't have, hold up. You, you don't have. But, you, you, ain't, you, ain't, you ain't got more hair on top of your head and on your face. You better ask your question. <laughs> don't get embarrassed. Hey, hey, hey brother, brother and sister, let me ask you this. Uh, as entrepreneurs, I'm sure this is super helpful. What are we, what's the customer's response to uh, this app and to your clients who use this app? Yeah, no, they absolutely love it. Like you said, um, you know, the, the response has been amazing. We first started off just catering to hairstylists and barbers, and immediately yeah. once estheticians heard about Sheer Share, once makeup artists heard about Sheer Share, then we had to add a space for microblading artists and braiders because they all heard about Sheer Share. They said, well, why, why are you leaving this particular license specialty out? I want to also be able to take advantage of being able to pay for space to work when and where I need it. And so the response wow. has been amazing. Right. I mean, there, there's no there's no way that we could have grown to over 800 cities now if um, if the demand wasn't there. Oh, thank you. Monique. Monique. Come on. Pump it up. How do we find you? Tell me every place you are. What's the website? What's the Instagram? What's the it's fantastic. Well, we Congratulations. Are. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you so much. Um, I always say, Monique, that I hitched my cart to the right horse, and the horse being my husband here. Um, so uh, you can find us online at shearshare.com. Um, the app is free to download uh, on both iOS and Android. It's also available for uh, iPad users out there. And then we're Shear Share everywhere else, on Instagram, on Twitter, even on TikTok. Okay, but I have a follow-up question because I think that many people get um, the opportunity to come. Thankfully, uh, Roland cares enough about Black business and tech to make these kinds of things available. But you guys are ready uh, for this opportunity tonight. And so I want to call that out, too, for people who are watching to pay attention. Because when you have an opportunity to sell your business... This is what it should look like and sound like. And it seems like you put time into presentation of your product and of yourselves. If you're willing to just maybe for the up and coming entrepreneurs, share a little bit about what that process is, because you're mm -mm, you on all cylinders. You're doing it right. You're Thank doing you. it the right way. 
Well, I'll say this and I'll let my husband uh, close it up for us. But I always like to think of our marriage as our very first startup. And I like to say that this was like the merger of all mergers. And our son, I would call him our second startup. And now that he is a second year cadet and football player at the Air Force Academy, he's been acquired. So we've seen success there. And so Shearshare is our third startup. And so if we're going to bet on anyone, we're always going to bet on ourselves. And, and, I, and I'll follow up with that by saying, you know, anytime you're wearing this this outfit of melanin, you always have to show up right. You know, I think that when we walk into investors' offices, you know, this is the outfit we're always wearing our colors. So we have to make sure that we're doing our very best. And, you know, believe it or not, you know, we bootstrapped our company before yeah. we actually, you know, had someone to build it out for True. us. So we know what the what work goes in, involved in it. And plus, I'm an entrepreneur for over 20 years. So there's a lot of work uh, that has to be done. And, and, and we don't mind, you know, leading the charge. But at the end of the day, we are intentional about what we do. And we try to make sure that if we're going to be doing it, we're going to do it right. Congratulations. Well, you, you're doing it I can't tell how many people we've had. I, 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 I can't tell how many people we've had with a tech talk segment who got bad Wi-Fi. I'm like, uh, it's a tech <laughs> talk segment. Uh, Robert. <laughs> Hey, 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 Roland, I got to say this, Roland. I got to say this before I go. You know, I had a chance to meet you in New York. Uh, got a chance to take a picture with you. But my spiritual father told me to tell you that you are a civil rights leader and voice and advocate of our time, and he is constantly praying for you. So yeah. thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, Rob Patillo, uh, get your question in real quick. Mo Monique took up too much of your time. Yeah, I, I, I got that. I got one nerdy question. So I meet a lot of entrepreneurs who get scared on the tech side of things when it comes to developing apps, developing those uh, types of gateways. Can you talk a little bit about the process of actually the technological side of developing an app and uh, how you actually did that very quickly, though? <laughs> So, so here's the crazy part, right? So neither one of us are technical co-founders. Ty is clearly the subject matter expert, having earned his doctorate degree in professional barbering and cosmetology, running um, an award-winning salon for almost 30 years, being the author of a number one best-selling book on how to be successful in the beauty and style industry. My background happens to be in corporate America. I spent over 20 years in B2B technology marketing and used to work at Oracle. I ran Oracle's digital strategy and innovations group worldwide and had P&L across five continents. Now, I say all that to say that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are the best combination to execute in this billion-dollar market. We started off by doing this thing manually. We had stylists who called us up and said, hey, this is my budget. This is what I'm looking for. This is the city and part of the nation traveling. Can you help I heard about you guys from a peer stylist down the street, and so I really need your help. And so we were manually matching stylists to empty salon space for three years before we finally looked up and said, there's got to be an app for this. There's an app for everything else. And when we looked online, we couldn't find it. And that was the aha moment for us where we said, we have to be able to give this back to the industry that has fed our family for more than 30 years. And so here we are. But we honestly started by just asking questions. We asked lots of people, lots of questions who were in tech, who had built apps before, and finally found our way into Shearshare.com. Yeah. And we do like to thank um, our very first advisor, T.D. Lowe. She was the very first person out in Silicon Valley that we phoned up and said, hey, we've been doing this thing this kind of manual thing for like three years. Can you help us out? And thankfully, um, after learning a little bit more about her, she cannot walk from her car to the grocery store without getting pitched a new startup idea. And so, thank God, we called the right person, and she has been there um, every step of the way. 
All right, then. Uh, what city are y'all in? McKinney, Texas, yeah. uh, north of Dallas. Okay. All right, then. Well, look, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, good luck uh, with the app. and glad to have you on Roller Martin Unfiltered and the Black Star Network. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Uh, all right, folks, uh, so, some breaking news here, uh, folks, uh, happened just a few uh, hours ago. Uh, folks are uh, talking about this here. Uh, a, uh, the rapper Young Dolph uh, has been shot and killed uh, in Memphis. Um, this uh, is the video that we're playing. This is video we're going to play right here. This is from a week ago, from a week ago. Uh, where he was visiting uh, a particular uh, cookie store uh, there in Memphis. Well, uh, today, around 1 p.m., about six hours ago, uh, he walked into Makita's Butter Cookies uh, to uh, to buy some cookies, and all of a sudden someone drove up, shot and killed him. Again, it took place around uh, 1 p.m. Uh, at the bakery there in uh, South Memphis. And so uh, it was a c- couple of hours ago. Well, the police released a statement called it a senseless okay, killing uh, that took place. Uh, people have been flocking to the scene. Uh, he was a very prominent uh, rapper, uh, not only uh, in Memphis, but well-known across the country as well. His real name is Adolph Robert Thornton Jr. Uh, and, of course, uh, he released a mixtape in 2014 called High Class Street Music 4. The single Preach uh, released his debut studio album, King of Memphis, in 2016. Uh, 36-year-old rapper, uh, Young Dolph, uh, dead. Uh, to being shot and killed today uh, in Memphis. Uh, no uh, news as to whether the individuals involved uh, have been apprehended. This, this is, again, video that was posted on social media of him at this cookie store just one week ago. Got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, longtime NAACP Legal Defense Fund head Sherilyn Eiffel is stepping down. I talked with her about why and what is next right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Ooh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger. That's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of you. Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where are you going? Hi, y'all doing? It's your favorite funny girl, Amanda Seal. Hi, I'm Anthony Brown from Anthony Brown and Group Therapy. What up, Manuel? And you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. <laughs> Sherilyn Eiffel, uh, lead of the NLACP Legal Defense Fund, uh, announced today in a Washington Post story that she uh, is stepping down from the organization in 2022. Janae Nelson, her longtime number two, will be taking over. Uh, I caught up with her earlier today when we talked about uh, her legacy, why she is leaving, what she plans to do, and the significant challenges still facing African Americans and others when it comes to the fight for democracy and voting rights in America. All right, Sherilyn, so what's the deal? You, you, you trying to go hang out in Jamaica, Hawaii? You trying to go to Ghana? Um, you're leaving. What's going on? 
You know me better than that. Um, no, this is my life's work, and uh, I am not retiring. I'm too young to retire. And, um, and you know, what we have seen in this country and what is happening to black people is too dire for me to leave the work of racial justice. But what I am doing is stepping away from LDF, the organization that I love, where I started my career as a baby lawyer. And I'm stepping away because I think, you know, many people know that I am very serious about black institutions and particularly about this institution that's been a part of my life for 30 years and ensuring its strength. And I think uh, transition is part of leadership. Uh, I wanted to do this in an orderly way. I wanted to do it um, at the right time when LDF is really strong financially in terms of strategy and leadership. And frankly, Roland, I wanted the new leader to have um, a few years of an aligned administration before 2024, which I had when I came aboard. It was in the final years of the Obama administration. And that meant that in 2016, you know, I was I was ready and equipped and um, had my legs strongly planted beneath me. And I'd like that for the next leader. We don't know what 2024 will bring, but we know it's going to be a very serious and volatile time. So I'm, I'm not leaving. Uh, if you know me, you know I'm not going to shut my mouth. Uh, and I'm going to keep working, but I'm I'm looking forward to finding out what is the next way that I'm supposed to do this work. Uh, you're you're 58 years old. You lay. Why we got to go there, Ryan? Why, I mean, Roland, Roland. Why we got to go with the no, age? No, no, but, no, 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 no. I mean, I, I no, just here's don't know. why. Here's why. Here's why. Breathe. Woosa. Woosa. <laughs> I'm very calm. The reason I'm saying that is because is is because. When we look at a lot of black institutions, mm -hmm. people die in positions. They're there to their 70 and 80. And what you just described is something that, frankly, is very rare in a lot of our traditional black organizations. That is leaving before 60, bringing in the next leader serving under you, planning a transition, and Correct. actually having an organization that actually is healthier than when you arrived and you're passing it on to someone else and it's not in a state of disrepair. That's, that's actually rare. I'm so happy to hear you notice that, Roland, because this everything I do in relationship to this organization is intentional um, and has been from the very beginning. This is also intentional. Um, I, as I said, I'm quite serious about, and if, if we haven't learned anything the last five years, we should have learned about the importance of black institutions. And um, LDF is an institution. And as much as I love it, uh, it is not mine. It doesn't belong to me. Uh, and I have never tried to create a vanity project out of my leadership of LDF. Um, and the job of leaders, it's difficult. It's leading on the substantive work. It's leading your staff. It's having vision and voice but it's also stewarding an institution. And when you're stewarding an institution created by Thurgood Marshall, it's no joke. Uh, I take it very, very seriously. And so, yes, I was told very early on by a business leader that, you know, succession and transition and, and thinking that through is part of leadership. And I've taken it very seriously. Um, I think you've had Janae Nelson on your show, um, our associate director counsel, my deputy. Um, I have tried to give her as much of a platform as possible. She is brilliant. Uh, she is also uh, also started out as L at LDF about uh, 10 years after I did, but as a voting rights attorney. She's also a former law professor. Uh, we have a lot in common. She is, uh, but she will bring her own touch. 
uh, the staff feels held because they know that they have a sense of continuity. She's been uh, with me for eight of the 10 years that I'll, that I'll have been at LDF as leader. And so you hold the organization and you keep the organization strong. And that's how, in me, I, for me, I know that I've been a successful leader, not just that the staff is five times the size it was uh, when I started, uh, not just that the budget and the endowment are five times the size they were when I started. That's a pretty big deal, and I'm not minimizing that because I also believe that black institutions need the resources to do excellent work. And I told the board when I interviewed for the job that we would not be nickeling and diming, that I would figure out how to resolve uh, financial issues within the organization and that I would raise money. For, I'd never raised a dime before in my life. In fact, I had been on the other side um, chairing the board of a foundation. But I believe in LDF so much. I know how to describe uh, what is necessary to deal with uh, racial inequality. I know the threat that white supremacy poses, not just to black people, but to our entire democracy. And I felt sure that I could convince people that LDF was the right organization to invest in. And I know somebody who's watching or listening, and they're like, okay, Roland, why are you making a big deal out of this? Because you said something that is key, and that is, and I've said this for years, as somebody who has run three black newspapers, and one of them, the historic Chicago Defender, mm -hmm. and I look at Robert Abbott, who founded the paper. He mm -hmm. prepared his nephew to take it over when he retired. Well, when John Sinstack passed away, he left the paper um, in a state of flux. It was all over the place. The family members, it was drama. It was all this sort of stuff. And so what was built, just in many ways, it diminished. And when I took it over, they had made a profit in 20 years. And so I, I've said for a long time, great leaders are not determined on how they ran organizations during their tenure. It's also how they positioned it after their tenure. Yes. Yes. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's difficult because I love LDF. I could keep doing this work. Um, I, I'm, I, I feel happy that people are sad that I'm leaving because that means I've been doing the work well. Um, I'm not overly modest about my contributions to this work uh, because I feel passionately about it. But I also know that um, this is an 80-year institution that I led for and will have led for 10 years. That means for 70 years, the institution managed to survive without me in leadership. And as I said, when you start with Thurgood Marshall, um, you have to be really serious about uh, ensuring that the organization is strong. And LDF is so necessary at this moment in this country. I think we showed, um, certainly over the last five years, how mission critical we are to the protection of black people and to American democracy. And um, that's, that's the position I wanted to leave LDF in. I wanted to leave it financially secure so that the next leader could, um, would not be inhibited in executing strategy by lack of resources. So that whatever has to be done has to be done. And we see it this year. We don't have our federal voting rights bill yet. I'm still pushing on that. And that means we have to litigate more. We just filed suit against Alabama, in fact, two suits against Alabama, for redistricting uh, this week. We filed suit against uh, South Carolina for their failure to begin their redistricting. We've, we're litigating against Georgia and Texas and Florida for their voter suppression laws. It's not fun to play whack-a-mole, but if that's what we have to do, that's what we're going to do until we have federal legislation to help us. We are not going to go quietly uh, into this good night. We are here to protect and strengthen uh, the full citizenship and dignity of black people in this country. Uh, and the rest of the country benefits because that makes our democracy healthier.
Uh, you, you asked why I have to bring the age part up. Here's why. <laughs> he robbed, he, uh, Hugh Price, when he left the National Urban League, he was 60 years old. And this is, I remember when I interviewed him, and he said, Roland, I'm leaving because I'm young enough to still have the energy to do one more strong play. That's and right. The reason I, 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 that always stuck with me, mm-hmm. that always stuck with me because I think people have to think about that. The reality is, uh, it's sort of it just look. When when I decided to launch this, I told my agent, "Why turn TV one down?" I said, "I'm I'm 49." I said, "I'll be 50 in November." This was three years ago. I just turned 53, and I said, "If I don't do this now, I never will." And that's also part of this. You mm-hmm. still want to be vibrant and want to be able want to be able to have the energy to do it. Uh, and so that's and that's 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 why I also brought that up because that also factor yeah. in where you said, "Okay, you know what? I've led it, but you know what?" I still got pep in my step. I oh, still listen. want to go do something and still have the, the, the vibrancy to do it. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I um, I prayed that I would have another chapter after leading LDF. I had no idea when I would leave, but I, I wanted to have another chapter. I, I may have two. Um, and uh, I, and especially given what we've mm-hmm. seen in this country, I, I do think that, in fact, I feel like I've learned a lot um, about America over the last nine years, more than I knew before. And part of the reason I'm now writing a book, and I'm really grateful to Penguin Press for believing in me to write this uh, opus uh, that I'll be working on, is to to assemble those thoughts and to pull them together for myself, but also to share them with the country and to help set um, a kind of template for the next way that I am supposed to contribute to this work. Uh, I wanted to be a civil rights lawyer from the time I was a girl. I was obsessed with uh, with politics and social justice and black people, and that's never diminished. And um, I'm going to continue doing that. Um, I'm going to continue doing that work, but just in a different way. And I think that's what life is supposed to be. When I left LDF the first time, I was 30 years old, and I went off to teach. And I moved to a city I had never uh, even visited before, except for my job interview, and that was Baltimore. And as you know, Roland, many people think I'm from Baltimore. That's how much I kind of took to uh, working in this town and um, and training the next generation of lawyers. You know, I've, I've taught thousands of law students and I started, you know, an environmental justice clinic the first year I came. And then I started a, one of the first clinics in the country focused on um, the legal rights of those returning from prison. And then as I was leaving, the last two years I was leaving, I started a reparations clinic, uh, which really was exciting. I wrote um, what I think of as one of the most important texts about uh, the, the ongoing effects of lynching on um, on communities around the country, a book called On the Courthouse Lawn. And that that book later became part of uh, an, an important template in the thinking of Brian Stevenson and the folks at EJI as they began to create the lynching memorial in Alabama. So that time I spent at, in academia strengthened me and prepared me to lead LDF. And I'm sure that the time I spent at LDF has strengthened and prepared me for whatever is the next chapter. I've interviewed a lot of our uh, a lot of people coming out of the civil rights movement, the Black Freedom Movement. Uh, then also what I call uh, the post civil rights movement babies. Uh, and one of the things that has um, been very interesting, there was a period of about fifteen or twenty, or some say twenty five years where there were a lot of folks who said, you know what, I, I, I don't want to do civil rights work. I want to go into corporate. I want to be able to impact mm-hmm. African-Americans from that space. And then I, I dare say in the past decade, there's mm-hmm. been a resurgence among 
young people, and even black folks who are who are, have been in corporate America mm-hmm. who say, "Wait a minute, hold up." That work is even more vital. Have you have you seen that? Have you and 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 in your conversations with people, what have you been saying to them? Why they should be considering the vital work of civil rights law as opposed to let's just go make a corporate play? Well, absolutely, I've seen it, Roland, and I think for many people in this country, um, you know, many people wanted to believe that the worst of our uh, racial problems had been solved. And people allowed themselves to be lulled by the election of a black president and the, you know, the presence of a black attorney general and so on and so forth. And while those were important milestones, as I shared, um, you know, those of us who do this work for a living knew what was beneath the surface. Now, now many millions more people know because Trump was an accelerant who kind of unearthed what was below the surface. But we knew it. Most of the work we do at LDF is in the South. Um, and so we knew that um, there was an incredible amount of work still to be done. And I think many more people now recognize that. They have seen the videos of uh, police killings of unarmed black people. They saw January 6th. They saw the election of an openly white supremacist president. And they saw all of the people, including uh, much of a, a, an entire political party that was prepared to support him, despite knowing that. They saw Charlottesville. And so people have come to recognize that. So one of the things that I'm proudest of that we accomplished at LDF uh, is that we launched last year something called the Marshall Motley Scholarship Program. It is named for Justice Thurgood Marshall and for Judge Constance Baker Motley, who's a former LDF attorney, first black woman federal judge, first black woman to argue in the United States Supreme Court, who litigated successfully most of the cases desegregating uh, Southern uh, universities. And that sco- it, through that scholarship, we pay the full ride for 10 law students each year. Uh, we will offer them summer fellowships. They will have internships. They will have a, a two-year fellowship uh, after they leave the organization. And then they make a commitment to work for an additional eight years in the South. Uh, all in all, we will incubate 50 new civil rights lawyers focused on the South. That's part of the commitment because we understand the importance of ensuring that we can keep the troops that we need going forward. And one of the things that kept many people from pursuing this work is um, that, you know, education is, higher education is so expensive. Undergraduate school, law school, I didn't finish paying off my student loans until I was 41. Uh, and many people, you know, find it difficult to imagine taking that on, and it's even more expensive now. So we wanted to remove that for um, 10 committed, clear young people a year. And they are so inspiring. Um, You can look up, you know, go Google Marshall Motley Scholars and you'll find them and you'll find their videos and you can learn more about them Um, because that's what we have to do. We have to build generations of troops. We can see now that racism is far from over in this country and it's going to take our uh, life's work. Now, some people don't do it for a living every day. But you can contribute, can contribute the way you can. Some people who are in the corporate space contribute by working pro bono with LDF, by offering services to the organization or other civil rights organizations. Some people do it by contributing. Some people do it uh, by volunteering. Um, However is the way that you can contribute, by sharing good information, you know, with your cohort of folks. Uh, Democracy requires work. And that's one of the messages I've been trying to push, Roland. This is not ever going to be fully done. You don't just have a democracy. You open up the box, you set everything up, and now it's done. It's work. And we're going to have to keep maintaining it if we want um, it to go forward. And so I hope people realize that now, that citizenship requires much, much more than perhaps many people thought. 
When you look back on coming in at the time that you did, um, did you think it would be this dangerous, um, the period that we're in right now? Um, when you look at the uh, the ridiculous uh, things that are happening with the, with these anti-critical race theory people, flat out lying, all, all, just the craziness has been going on, all different things like that. But then you talk about the voting laws and the massive voter suppression and how technical uh, they have been operating and how delicate the, with the algorithms and, and, and the surgical way they've been doing it. Uh, it's, it's, it, it is shocking to a lot of other people. Uh, how have you seen it and, and what are you conveying uh, to future leaders to understand uh, the dangerous situation that we're literally in right now for the for, for when it comes to our freedoms, the freedom to vote, uh, the fighting, um, not only that, but criminal justice reform, things along those lines. This moment that we are in. Um, I, I will not pretend that this has not been surprising and shocking, not the ongoing reality of white supremacy and racism, uh, but the um, way in which any sense of shame any sense of um, of of, uh, of reticence has been removed from the willingness to fully and publicly embrace racism and white supremacy. Uh, I think that is incredibly shocking to watch uh, millions of Americans turn their back on in, in you know what was in many ways one of the finest moments in this country, which was um, you know the civil rights movement. Uh, and I think many people believed that. I can remember being a, a young lawyer and running into, you know, uh, lawyers who would so happily. Sometimes they worked in corporations, and they would say, "Oh, I was part of Freedom Summer." You know, it was like a badge of, uh, of honor. To see so much of the country turn away from that, to see our political system turn away from norms as we speak today. Uh, Representative Paul Gosar was censured in the House for uh, memes that he posted in which you know, he, purported, he seemed to fantasize about killing uh, a fellow House member, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, uh, you know, th that the censure happened. I'm so glad it did happen. Uh, but you know, I saw so many people from his party stand up and support him. Uh, January 6th, uh, frankly, by the end of the Trump administration, it didn't surprise me. Um, but the willingness of people to lay down to President Trump, people who knew just months before how toxic he was, how dangerous he was, uh, the willingness of my of many members of my own profession to aid and abet the unraveling of our democracy. Uh, yes, this is all incredibly uh, shocking and disturbing. But when I was a baby lawyer, I remember that um, a civil rights icon, and I still to this day believe it was Charles Sherrod, said at a at a at a meeting at a conference that racism is a shapeshifter, right? And I've always believed that, and I have believed that our job is to um, be able to see it in all its guises and to be able to recognize it and to recognize its danger. Uh, but recognize it will always shift. It's not going to stay in the same form. Um, and so that's the part that should not surprise us. What should not surprise us is that it is going to shift and turn. Uh, and we have to recognize that we have to stand strong against it. Someone like Mr. Trump didn't create it, but he was an accelerant and therefore he was quite dangerous. Um, and so we have a lot of work to do to repair norms, to repair ethics, to recognize um, that we need new laws 
and that perhaps we've relied too much on norms and ethics, and that we need to be a lot more direct about what is permitted and what is not permitted, and about where the gaps are in the foundation of our democracy. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. And not only when it comes to what Republicans and conservatives are doing, uh, but it also uh, has been a stark reminder uh, that we have to remind those who our so-called allies, Democrats, that they have to have the courage uh, to go as hard as they can. We're literally seeing Democrats, uh, senators out of Arizona and West Virginia and a few others, uh, unwilling to end the filibuster to deal with voting rights. And you're watching Republicans literally gerrymander themselves into controlling the U.S. House for the next decade. Uh, and so the battle is also challenging allies, saying you cannot be quiet. Oh, that is absolutely right. You know, I've been in those direct meetings with Senator Manchin. Uh, and, um, it, you know, this is this is one of the flaws in our democracy, right, that, you know, you just identified two people and maybe three who can stand in the way of legislation that will protect uh, the rights of 
12% of the population of black people and, you know, more than 25, close to 30 of, of Latino people to be able to vote and participate in the political process. That is a structural flaw, regardless of the personalities. I've worked with a number of Democrats in, who are working in good faith to try to pass this voting legislation. Um, we, we continue to await the willingness of a Republican to do so. Senator Murkowski was the one Republican willing to vote for debate, for debate. So we're not talking about even voting for the bill at this point. We couldn't get uh, more than one Republican to vote to even debate the bill. So we are in serious trouble. The Voting Rights Act was never a partisan piece of legislation. As you know, it was reauthorized uh, in 2006, 98 to 0 in the Senate, 396 to 33 in the House. That was in 2006. And in just this period of time, uh, it has become untouchable uh, to one political party to support um, ensuring that uh, citizens of this country who are black and brown and Asian American and Native American have a full opportunity to participate in the political process. So um, yes, we have to lean in everywhere we can. Um, I do think it's important for us to identify the, the people <laughs> who are holding things up. It's actually not the Democrats. It's actually some people <laughs> who are holding it up. And, um, and, and they have to be— Precisely. You know, they, they have to be accountable for their place in history, and we have to continue to push to uh, try and, and um, really ensure that this legislation goes forward. I'm determined in the months that I remain as uh, president and director counsel of LDF to make it happen. I'm here in Brunswick, Georgia, uh, where we are covering uh, the case of the three men, uh, the white, three white men on trial for killing Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, and, you know, the, the reality is it, it was pressure that for us to get to this point. I mean, you had DAs who were literally uh, allowing this uh, to, uh, to go on and not, and not have any justice whatsoever. One of the things that has really happened during your tenure, we have seen now the public fully embrace not just civil rights attorneys, but the importance of who is DA. We've never seen these number of progressive district attorneys, African-Americans who are being DA. People are attacking, oh, Kamala Harris, she was a cop when she was a DA attorney general. But the district attorney is the one who sits at the nexus of mass incarceration uh, and unjust laws. And so we can't just be civil rights lawyers. We got to have people with civil rights uh, legal minds as DAs. I'll, I'll take it a step further. Uh, you know, my mantra um, uh, rolling around voting rights has been leave no power on the table. Um, and we post that on Twitter all the time. And we post it in the context of talking about our responsibility to get serious about local offices. And that includes the DA. I mean, if you care about criminal justice and you care about racism in the criminal justice system, then you have to care about who's the prosecutor. You have to care about who's the judge. Many people are watching and have, have watched the Kyle Rittenhouse trial uh, uh, and have you know, been extremely disturbed about the conduct of the judge. That is an elected judge who has run uh, unopposed um, a number of times. I think he's been on the bench 40 years. Um, so pay attention to judicial mm. elections. Sheriffs, sheriffs, pay attention to sheriff elections. Sheriffs are the ones uh, actually who evict you. Sheriffs are the ones who make the connection with immigration officials uh, to, to, to do these kinds of interdictions. And there's a whole movement on the right to, um, to activate sheriffs uh, in, in support of the far right. They have programs that they're using to try and train sheriffs. 
Uh, and we're seeing around the country this movement of sheriffs. And if we see another um, attempt to overturn elections and so forth, I have no doubt that some of these sheriffs will be part of it. So we don't have the um, uh, luxury of standing back from any office and suggesting that we won't do it. You can't say you care about criminal justice reform, mass incarceration, and racism in the criminal justice system and, and walk into the voting booth and not know the difference between the sheriff candidates or when it says for the judicial uh, races, pick three and you don't know any of them or you know only one. And when I say this, I'm speaking to myself as well because I've had that experience. We have to get serious not just about casting the ballot, but about being educated about who we're voting for. They don't all have to be black, but they do have to align with your values of what you want to see in our criminal justice system. We're seeing the so-called anti-CRT movement, the, the anti-truth movement. Um, so it matters who sits on the school board. Do you, do you vote in school board elections? I know yeah. when we go in the booth, we vote for president. I know we vote for senator. I know we vote for governor. I know we vote for mayor. But do we vote for school board members? Do we vote for the Public Service Commission? If you live in Texas, do you vote for the Railroad Commission? And do you know what the Railroad Commissioner does? Leave no power on the table. We have to begin to educate ourselves about these local offices, about the power they have. We have to be prepared to support candidates whose views are aligned with the kind of uh, world we want to live in. And we have to vote in those elections. There are elections every year, Roland, not every two years, not every four years. Yep. I'm sure if yep. you check, you will find that there are elections, maybe there are ballot initiatives, you know, raising bond money for the library or for public pools or, or to, to amend the Constitution. Um, you need to educate yourself and do it every year. And I'm talking to myself as well because I can be inconsistent with the offices too, with knowing you know who the different candidates are. It's a lot of work. And maybe, um, Roland, your platform can become one where we begin to talk about some of those local races and talk about what the those officials do, what their powers are, and how that affects the rights of black people. Absolutely. Uh, two final questions. First, there are a lot of cases uh, that y'all been involved in. Uh, you have said that uh, you wanted to, you want LDF to be seen sort of as a private Department of Justice. Uh, mm -hmm. Are there a couple that, for you, where you say, "This is why I chose this work," that really stand out? One of them, which is a case certainly the Department of Justice would never bring because they would be on the other side of it, is you know, last year, crazy as it seemed, you know. January 30th, I stood with uh, representatives of the United States Postal Service to unveil the Gwen Eiffel stamp. It was one of the proudest moments, you know, for our family. Um, but nine months later, I became convinced we had to sue the United States Postal Service to get ballots delivered and prioritized for the 2020 election. And that's what we did. It was an unusual piece of litigation, um, but we believed it was essential. And we did it during COVID. Um, and you know, participated in those hearings. We were before Judge Sullivan. Um, our litigation director, Sam Spital, was arguing and working on the case well into the night. The, the hearings lasted, in, you know, 8 o'clock in the evening. But you remember around that election when we were talking about ballots not being delivered in places like Georgia um, and in places like Detroit and Cleveland and other cities. That was LDF. Uh, working with our co-counsel at Public Citizen to make sure that happened. I was very, very proud of that litigation. I'm also proud of the fact that we were um, unafraid and willing to sue even uh, President Trump uh, for his actions after the election in attempting to uh, ensure that ballots were not counted that came from places with large black populations and his attempt to influence the election. 
Um, we sued him under Section 11B of the Voting Rights Act. Uh, we later brought claims under the Ku Klux Klan Act and in, included the RNC. We don't take these things lightly, um, but we do take very seriously um, that the Voting Rights Act protects not only the right of black people to cast a ballot, but to have that vote counted and added appropriately to the tally of votes, which means all that stuff you saw about disqualifying ballots is implicated by the Voting Rights Act. I was incredibly proud of the work we did last year. And I mentioned the pandemic because we're people too. Our lawyers were also concerned about their families and their children. Many of them have young children and they were homeschooling while they were litigating uh, all our cases last year. Uh, just an extraordinary staff and it really was um, an incredibly proud period for me, a, a very strenuous and, and stressful one, but uh, I was just incredibly proud. 50 years from now, 100 years from now, there is going to be uh, a young African-American woman, a young African-American man, someone who's white, Hispanic, Asian, Native American, doesn't matter. They're going to be uh, looking through uh, news stories and looking at history, history books, uh, and they're going to come across uh, the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and the 20th, 21st century. They're going to come across the name of Sherilyn Eiffel. What do what is the one thing you want that person to understand uh, about you and this moment, this period in which you run the organization? What's that one thing you want them to know and understand? I think it's about commitment. It's it's really about um, commitment to this work and what that looks like. And when you're committed to the work, one of the reasons that I I'm I'm quite joyful in the work. Uh, as exhausting and stressful as it is, I work all the time. There's not an hour of any day that I have not, uh, since I took this job, that I've not thought about LDF or our work. Uh, and, you know, it's been unrelenting. I, I, that is absolutely true. But what pushes you forward, and I'm sure you experience this, Roland, with what you're accomplishing um, right now, is commitment. When you are committed and you are dedicated to, you know, the cause of justice, to the cause of your people, you can do it. You can show up and you can um, really be elevated almost out of yourself in terms of power and clarity and people will feel it. And I think people feel it when they listen to me, when they see me, they know that I am serious about that commitment, that it brings me incredible peace and joy to be walking in what I believe I was called to do. Well, uh, it has been a great run. Uh, you definitely uh, have uh, the energy and spirit to do a lot more. Can't wait, as you say, to see what uh, the next chapter or two or three uh, could be, uh, very well be. Uh, congratulations uh, uh, on the tenure. Uh, uh, and I'm quite sure uh, you will happily say, okay, Janae, now you get to take these phone calls and these media requests. And it's now on you. Have I fun. Will. Have at it. <laughs> I will. I will. But she knows I will be there for her. Any any help and advice she needs, as former director counsels Elaine Jones and Ted Shaw have been there for me, um, and she will be fantastic as a director counsel for this period of time, for sure. All right. We appreciate it. Thanks for your, uh, all of your work and dedication. As you say, your commitment, we appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Roland.
right, folks, that's it for us from Brunswick, Georgia. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let me thank uh, Scott, Monique, and Robert for joining us uh, on today's panel. All of our great guests as well. Uh, don't forget, tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, we're going to be broadcasting live from here. Uh, the Pastors News Conference uh, and the vigil, that'll be taking place here at 3 p.m. Eastern. We'll begin with the Transformer Justice Coalition and River Jesse Jackson Sr. as they march from here into the community as well to the Amada Arbery Mural uh, here in Brunswick, Georgia. Uh, and so we're here on the ground. Please, we need y'all to support what we do. First of all, our goal by December 31st uh, of this year is to get 50,000 downloads of our Black Star Network ad. And so please, uh, download to your Apple phone, your Android phone, uh, Android TV, Apple TV, Roku, Samsung, uh, Xbox, uh, all of those platforms, Amazon Fire as well. So please download the app. And please, your dollars are critically important to allow us to be able uh, to come to places, travel, uh, to pay our uh, uh, driver and our freelance photographers and others. And so, again, when you give to the show, you are making black news important. You're making it a focus. And so, cash out, dollar sign, RM Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Zelle is Roland at RolandSMartin.com. Roland at RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. And so please support us in what we do. Uh, again, we don't just sit at, at, at the desk uh, in D.C. We're on the ground talking with people, covering the news, and that's what it means to be black-owned media. And so thanks a bunch. I'll see you tomorrow right here, Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Holla! Roland Martin for always giving voice to the issues. Look for Roland Martin in the whirlwind, to quote Marcus Garvey again. The video looks phenomenal, so I'm really excited to see it on my big screen. Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. I got to defer to the brilliance of Dr. Carr and to the brilliance of the Black Star Network. I am rolling with rolling all the way. Honored to be on a show that you own. A black man <laughs> owns the show. Folks, Black Star Network is here. I'm real uh, revolutionary right now. Rolling was amazing on that. Stay black. I love y'all. I can't commend you enough about this platform that you've created for us to be able to share who we are, what we're doing in the world, and the impact that we're having. Let's be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You can't be black-owned media and be scared. You dig?
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 